I want to say good evening to you all. It is a blessed opportunity to be back here once again, to be able to glean a little bit more from the Bible, that is to say from the scriptures that God has left for us. I recall back in 2 Peter, the first chapter, in 2 Peter, the first chapter, I remember that assurance and our approach to scriptures when Peter explains that in 2 Peter, the first chapter at verse three, according to his divine power, hath given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. What beautiful understanding to know that we have been called to not only glory, but also to virtue, that we can live lives in Christ Jesus that are pure from the world, living lives in Christ Jesus, knowing of the hope that we have set before us. As we speak a little bit more about the righteous judgment, the point about the righteous judgment, of course, we spent a great deal of time in Second Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians, and just to call into your remembrance, after your afternoon nap and perhaps warm plate of food, you might remember in Second Thessalonians, we studied there in chapter 1. Again, Paul giving thanks to God in verse 3, always for you, brethren, as it is meet because your faith, it grows exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other, it abounds. So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulation that you endure. This, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which also you suffer. And then he continues, Paul saying, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that would trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, we see in verse 5 this manifest token of God's righteous judgment that we may be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you also suffer. For a little bit of time this evening, we're going to discuss this righteous judgment a little more in depth this evening. And I remember. As we go through the Old Testament, through the law and the writings, you may remember that Jesus in his resurrected glory in Luke, the 24th chapter at around verse 20 or around verse 44 would be explaining to his apostles, would be explaining to those that were with him in this world. He says, these are the things that were written beforehand. These things testified of me in the law and the prophets and the writings. When we think back on the law and the prophets of the writings, we need to be scouring and reading the scriptures so diligently to be looking for those implications of Christ Jesus, which is to come into this world. I remember all the way back. I know we spent some time in the Psalms this morning, but let's go a little bit deeper in the Psalms. Of course, we were dealing with the righteous judgment of God gleaned from the ninth division of Psalm. But let's look a little bit deeper. This time in the 96th division of Psalm, Psalm 96, if you remember, it would look a lot like some other divisions of Psalms, 
But the psalmist would open up saying, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord and bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. You ought to declare his glory among the heathen, his wonder among all the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O you kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. I suppose the world would leave this behind as every Sunday or every first day of the week. The thing that's most anticipated is all of the number of football games that are on the tube rather than the giving of thanks and the coming together with the saints. But that's another sermon for another time. As we continue to read in the 96th division of the Psalms, it says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The word also shall be established that it shall not be moved. The world rather. And he shall judge the people righteously. You see this righteous judgment even here implicated in the 96th division of Psalm at verse 10 says, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. And then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. In verse 13, it says before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Nowadays, it seems as if people would take the truth to be a subjective thing. But the truth has always been objective and it has been objective according to what the Lord has given. The Lord is going to judge the world according to his truth. If you go two Psalms later in the 98th division of Psalm, you will see see a similar thing implicated, a similar theme brought out by the psalmist, specifically in the 98th division of Psalm at verse nine. It says before the Lord, before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. When we think about what Christ would say, making reference to the law, the Psalms and the writings, the prophets and the writings, how these things testify of him. I believe this would even make reference to the righteous judgment that was going to come through him. If we look a little bit deeper in the biblical narrative, you might remember over in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, we've dealt a little bit with the writings, but let's go now to the prophets. In the book of Isaiah, the 11th chapter. If you turn there with me, Isaiah, the 11th chapter, would explain in the first couple of verses this man that was going to come into the world to be able to judge. According to what we see in the 96th division of Psalm at verse 11 or 10 through 13, according to what we see in the 98th division of Psalm at verse 9. We see that one is to come to be able to judge the earth. But looking here in Isaiah, the 11th chapter, we see this of the prophets as well. Opening up, you might remember that there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of. Of the Lord. He shall make 
or rather, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked and the righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. We understand Isaiah is implicating that there should be a branch. There should be even a root of Jesse that was going to come into this world. Perhaps you understand who Jesse was. Jesse being the father, I believe, of Obed, who then was the father of David. You might remember that the New Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures even would make reference to that uh, child that was going to come from the lineage of David. You would see that that man, Jesus Christ, being that individual coming from that lineage to be able to reign, to come into this world to judge righteously. When we think about that, we go over to even the words of Jesus going over to the book of John really quickly. And John, the eighth chapter, in the book of John, the eighth chapter, you might remember where Jesus dealing with the opposition, Jesus speaking not only to his disciples, but dealing with individuals that would oppose him. As you might remember, he explains. He explains in John, the eighth chapter at around verse 12, he says, Jesus said unto the game, I am the light of the world. He says, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Of course, the Pharisees are there in the verse eight or verse 13 says the Pharisees therefore said unto him, you bear his record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true for I know whence I came and whether I go, but you cannot tell from where I came nor where I go. In verse 15, he says, you judge after the flesh, but I judge no man. And if yet I judge or and yet if I judge, my judgment is true for I am not alone, but I and the father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bears witness of myself and the father that sent me beareth witness of me. This was hard for the Pharisees to fathom. This was hard for the Pharisees to grasp. As Jesus is saying here that he and the father are one. His testimony is of one and his father's also is of one. When we think about who Christ is, when we think about why he was sent into this world, when we think about how he was approved, as the Bible would say in Acts the 20 or Acts the second chapter at verses 21 through 23, you think about the great works that he was able to rot. You think about the authority that was given to him from God, the father Christ all along was saying that don't think about the works to glorify myself, but glorify the father, which is in heaven, who has committed these very works unto me. Nevertheless, we've dealt a bit with the writings or the Psalms. We dealt with the prophets pertaining to the righteous judgment, but let's go a little bit deeper. When we critically think about that story that we see over in Genesis, the 18th chapter, I believe we would be getting some more implication of the righteous judgment, not only of God, but the righteous judgment that would even come 
through his son. When we look at Genesis, the 18th chapter, you may remember the context as the Lord appeared in Genesis, the 18th chapter at verse one, the Lord appeared to Abraham in the plains of Mamre. He sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and lo, three men stood by him. And when he had saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door. He bowed himself toward the ground and he said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Nevertheless, when we drop a little bit further, we understand what is happening with Abram. We understand what is happening with Abram as Isaac would be the child of promise promised to Abraham. But looking a little bit deeper in the context, let's look a little bit deeper in Genesis, the 18th chapter. And in Genesis, the 18th chapter, as Abram was speaking there, it says in verse 20, and the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, Genesis 18, 20, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham had a concern for Sodom. He had such a concern, I believe, because he had family in Sodom. You may remember, according to the biblical narrative, that the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. But nevertheless, Abraham had a certain care and concern for the status of Sodom and Gomorrah. Will you slay the righteous with the wicked is what Abraham would ask unto the Lord. And verse 24 says, Peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Abraham, understanding who God is, understanding the Lord, he says, It would be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous, or rather that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Thinking about what we read earlier in the ninth division of Psalm. Think about what we er read earlier in the 33rd division of Psalm. Now this evening in the 96th and 98th division of Psalm, making reference to the Lord being able to judge right. I remember the past tense that the psalmist would be able to write the ninth division in Psalm, thinking about verse four, that the Lord, that God sat in his throne judging right. But I believe now, as you continue to follow the biblical narrative, there would be a transition of judgment to come. Certainly back here during the patriarchal age, as Abraham is dealing with God, he's asking, will you slay the righteous with the wicked? But now we see, according to verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? We certainly know that there is no unrighteousness with God. We certainly know that he is able to judge righteously. But I believe we even get some insight to what would happen pertaining to Christ Jesus, how the Old Testament was there to testify of him. We see here it is true of God, the father, according to Genesis, the 18th chapter at verse 25, that the judge of all the earth will do right. But I believe likewise in his son, Christ Jesus, something to come that the judge of all the earth will do right. Of course, you remember the story. And the Lord said, if I find Sodom 50 righteous within the city in verse 26, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. 
Abraham answered and behold now. He says, I have taken upon me to speak to the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, there shall lack five of the 50. So he's now saying, if there's 45 righteous, will you destroy all the city for the lack of five? He said, if I find 40 and five, I will not destroy it. He spake to him yet again. He said, if there's 40 found there, God would answer him the same. He continues on and he drops the number down to 20. Abraham asking of God. He said, I will not destroy for 20 sake. God says to Abraham. He says it again for 10 sake in verse 32. And God would answer him the same. Nevertheless, we looking here in Genesis, the 18th chapter. I look at that verse in verse 25, where it would say, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. That brings us back to the book of John. This time, not the eighth chapter, but John, the fifth chapter. Thinking about what Jesus would be explaining in another context. Jesus explaining in John, the fifth chapter. This much noise was abroad or much noise was made about him healing of that man outside of that pool in Bethesda. When you when you drop down to John, the fifth chapter and looking now. At John, the fifth chapter, specifically at verse number 17, where Jesus would answer. And he'd answer those that are asking of him, why did he tell this man to take up the bed and walk? Why are you doing these things in verse 16 on the Sabbath day? But in verse 17, Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought more to kill him because he not only hath broken the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Oh, the Jews in that context didn't like that. They didn't like that. But you think about this same Christ Jesus, who it was not robbery for him to be equal with God. This same Christ Jesus took on the humility in the fashion of a servant, making himself of no reputation. But the Jews didn't like what Christ was saying. Christ is simply implicating his authority He's implicating that there was another that testifies of him. He's implicating the works that he's doing, that they are not of himself, but they are of his father. He wants people to take what they're seeing of him, take that information and be able to glorify the father for those works. As he says in another context, these are things that were written of me before time, just testifying of me. But as we continue on getting and moving to the point of righteous judgment, shall not the judge of the earth do right. Remembering those words of Abraham in Genesis, the 18th chapter, you might remember here in John, the fifth chapter at verse 19, then Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you that the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for what things soever he does. These also does the son likewise for the father loveth the son and he showeth all things to him self or excuse me, all things that himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel for as a father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth who he will for the father judges no man, but now has committed all judgment unto the son. I believe Genesis, the 18th chapter was certainly very true of God, the father, who was the judge at the time. But we see over time in the future tense, Abraham was saying, shall not all or the judge of all the earth do right. Bringing us to Christ Jesus. 
As he explains this, for as the father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth who he will. For in verse 22, it says, for the father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son, that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father, which has sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death to life. Jesus, in this masterful language, is explaining to these individuals what they need to do to escape the condemnation that is coming. The righteous judgment that we discussed in Romans, the second chapter this morning, this righteous judgment that was to come. Do you despise the riches, the forbearance and the goodness of God? Do you think those that judge in this hypocritical state are going to escape the righteous judgment that is ultimately going to come? Nevertheless, we see that the judgment is committed unto the son from the father. The son, when he was in this world, was explaining this. And he was explaining in verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, you have to hear my word. You have to believe my word and you have to believe on him that sent me. You can have everlasting life if you do such things. You shall not come into the condemnation. Condemnation being another word for that judgment. You are passed from death unto life. We've spoken about Romans, the fifth chapter, plenty. We're passed from death unto life. Starting in on Romans, the sixth chapter, making reference to how our lives are new in Christ Jesus Passing from death to life because we become servants of righteousness. Christ would say, verily, verily, I say unto you in verse 25, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the father hath life in himself, so he hath given to the son to have life in himself. He hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Christ would say, marvel not at this for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. We see in verse 22 that judgment was committed unto the son. We see the son explaining that you have to hear my words. You have to hear my words and he that hears my words According to verse 24, and believes on him that has sent me has everlasting life. Shows us how to pass from death unto life. How we're going to be able to escape the condemnation that is to come, which is to say the judgment sitting there at the judgment seat of Christ, being able to escape the condemnation to those that do not hear his voice, nor believe on him that sent Christ, the son of God. What beauty, understanding this righteous judgment going all the way back to Isaiah, the 11th chapter, how he's not going to judge after what or after his own, but he's going to judge after what he hears. It was God, the son that came into this world, hearing what the father gave to him, all authority being given unto the son to be able to go about doing good, to be able to judge righteously. We see that here in the context of John, the fifth chapter, Christ would say, marvel not at this. For the hour comes, in verse 28, 
that all that are in the graves shall even hear his voice. I believe John, the fifth chapter, verse 28 is implicating that day of judgment, which is to come hereafter. He would even say earlier in John, the fifth chapter, the dead are going to hear or John, the fifth chapter at verse 25, the dead are going to hear the voice of the son of God and they're going to be able to live. I believe that's the dead. According to this world, those who are living after the similitude of Adam, a life of sin where the regime of death is passed over them. But they're going to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. They're going to be able to obey that glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're going to be able to, as John, the fifth chapter at verse 24 says, path from death, death unto life. We see in verse 29, there's a resurrection coming. Those that have done good, it's a resurrection unto life. And those that have done evil, it's the resurrection unto damnation. He says in verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just thinking about what we read in Isaiah, the 11th chapter, that he's not going to judge of his own. Now being brought out here in John, the fifth chapter, Christ saying, as I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the father, which has sent me. What beautiful understanding that we have looking at Christ and his words, looking at God the judge of all the earth, committing his judgment unto his son. Why? Because his son lived that righteous life. His son, living a perfect, sinless life, was able to receive this judgment of the father. Because he lived a life that was pleasing unto the father, after the will of the father, all the way unto his death, declared to be the son of God, he is going to be sent back to be the judge of all. John or Genesis, the 18th chapter at verse 25, it says. The judge of all the earth, should he not do right? We understand that Christ becoming the righteous judge because of the life he led is able to come back into this world for his church without any spot, wrinkle or blemish. There's a great day coming. Again, we must all appear for the judge, before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everything that we have done in this body will be taken into account. That judgment was committed to the son because he was able to endure until the end. He was able to finish the work of God that was committed unto him. He is able to explain here during his earthly ministry these very points, explaining how we can Come forth, all those that have done good unto the resurrection of life. We need to be focused on doing good. We need to be focused on taking account of our own lives, making sure that we are living according to the scriptures, living after the will of God, just as the son did, because a righteous judgment is coming. And that righteous judgment, there's going to be an asundering. There's going to be a separating. There's going to be a separating of those that have done good and those that have done evil. We need to make sure that we're in the right category so that we can reap the eternal blessings that God has laid up for us. Looking at the son, Christ Jesus, just as Isaiah would say all the way back in Isaiah, the 11th chapter, understanding who he is, remembering that root or that branch, that stem that's to come out of Jesse. The spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Right. And he shall make and he shall be made of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he's not going to judge after the sight of his eyes, 
neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Make no mistake about it, the wicked will be slain. We need to make sure we're not of that category, but we need to make sure we're of the category of the righteous. Again, when we think about Judgment Day, we have to think about it in a different light. Perhaps in times past it has been a terrible thought to you, but this should be a glorious thought for you. Thinking about all the way back in 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter at verse 5, it's the righteous judgment of God. This manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, knowing what's coming. Number one, Jesus is coming back for us. But number two, all of the trouble that we have gone through according to the course of this world, those that have troubled us, they're going to be judged. We're not taking glory in the fact that they will be condemned, but we're taking glory in the fact that God is a righteous judge. God has committed his righteous judgment to his son. And ultimately, those that would trouble us are going to be judged. We shouldn't think of Judgment Day as a day of sorrow, but rather it should be a day of rejoicing because God's righteous judgment is going to come into fruition as he sends his son back for us. As John, the fifth chapter, would explain verses 20 through 24, Jesus is saying, those that hear my voice and believe on him that sent me. That is a fundamental part of the gospel message. We have to hear the message and we have to believe. We cited in Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We understand that faith is important because without it, according to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse six, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must first believe that he is and he's a rewarder of they that diligently seek him. Let's be rewarded. Let's be rewarded with the greatest gift of all. The greatest gift of eternal life, which is to come after the righteous judgment of God comes with his son back into this world. He's going to come. The world is ultimately going to be destroyed. However, we hear the gospel. We believe what transpired with the son. We believe the facts of it, how he hung, he bled and he died for us. He was buried in a borrowed tomb on the third day. He arose. That's important because just as we in this world are one day going to die. We can be risen. We can be risen again. We can be risen again with the Son, or if we're found in the Son. We need to hear that gospel, believe it with all of our heart, come confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We also repent of our sins, repent of those things that we have done. Why? So that we're no longer servants of sin. Why? So that we can hear his voice. We can believe on him that sent him. We can pass from death into life. There's a condemnation coming to those that are wicked. There's a condemnation coming to those that do not meet the standard in which God has put for us through his son, the righteous judge. The righteous judge is coming to judge us all. We need to be having that mindset that we want to do good so we can see the resurrection of life, not the resurrection of death. Nevertheless, we believe that that moves us to be obedient to the gospel call that we must become a part of God's kingdom, being baptized after we've repented, after we've confessed, being baptized into that one church, into that one body, being baptized in the watery grave of baptism where our sins are remitted and they are remembered no more. We can walk in the newness of life, being ever focused on that great day, which is coming.
where the righteous judge is going to judge all the earth. It's a beautiful thing to know that Christ Jesus is coming because he was the one that was able to endure to the end living that righteous life. What better judge can we have? A lot of times when you go to the court, you're judged by a man perhaps that isn't familiar with all the tenets of the scriptures. If you go to court, hopefully you're not going to court, but you have to be judged by a man, judging after the flesh. That's what Jesus was reproving there in John the 5th chapter and John the 8th chapter. You judge after the flesh. He says, I myself judge no man. If I do judge, I judge according to the righteousness that God has given. What beautiful understanding that we have. The righteous judgment. Let us come now as we stand and sing a song of the Savior's invitation.